Good morning again. <laughs> Last week started the season of Advent. As you can see from the stage with the poinsettias and things leading up to Christmas. And that means a couple of things. Uh, first, it means that it's a season of waiting. Waiting for us to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And also, by consequence, waiting for his eventual return to set things right. A season of waiting. But also, in many households, mine included, it means that we have an advent calendar or two. Or, in our case, like six somehow this year. Have, you know what I'm talking about? These advent calendars where it's a, a large container of some kind or a, a poster board and you get to open one door each day, counting down to Christmas. And it, it's nice. It helps children without marking up your calendar. It helps them learn how to wait. Although, if you're like me, I waited till my parents were out of town and I just opened all the doors to look at, you know, what the pictures were and then closed them back up again. Uh, the idea, though, it's a tool to teach children how to wait and how to be patient on Jesus' arrival and Jesus' timing. And so in that sense, it's good, but in another sense, uh, it's kind of fake because it's very structured. Uh, you know that each day you get to open a door a little bit more. It's kind of on your schedule, on your timing. And so while it's a great tool for children as we grow up, if you're like me, it's, it's hard to leave that structure behind. It's hard to wait on Jesus and his timing, especially as we'll find out this morning when he refuses to be hurried. Because he almost never operates on a schedule that we expect. He's always unhurried, doing things on his agenda. And often we seek to hurry him up. We seek to put an artificial structure on him. And as we'll see in this morning's story from Mark, uh, we'll think about how to wait, which again is especially appropriate during this season of Advent. As I read our passage, which is Mark 5, verses 21 through 43, uh, listen. Listen for how people are forced to wait on Jesus. Starting in verse 21 of chapter 5 of Mark, it says, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and he implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter, she's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed him, and they, they thronged about him. And there was a woman there who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She had suffered much under many doctors. And she had spent all that she had, and instead of growing better, she just grew worse. She had heard the reports of Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his garment. For she said, if I just touch his garments, I will be made well. 
And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had left him, immediately he turned in the crowd and said, Who touched me? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you and you say, Who touched you? And he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him, and she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, while he was still speaking, uh, there came from the ruler's house a messenger who, who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any longer? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear. Only believe. And he followed him. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making such a commotion and weeping? The, the child is not dead. The child is sleeping. And they, they laughed at him. Uh, but he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and they went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began walking around. She was 12 years old, by the way. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus, we pray that this morning that you would help us to hear your truth. You would help us to hear what you have to say. Help us to learn to wait on you and to go at your timing. Help us not to hurry you during this Advent. Thank you for your faithfulness. All right, as we talk this morning, we're going to look through three things. We're going to talk about the massive delay that we see and hear about in this story. And then we'll, we'll think about um, the lessons from that delay that we can learn. And then we'll talk about a puzzling weakness right at the end. So first, the delay of Jesus. So in the story, you can already hear it, right? We have a, a, a lay ruler of the synagogue named Jairus. And he's probably affluent. He's probably a religious leader, well-known in the community, likely prominent and wealthy, but he's desperate. He has a little girl, a little daughter at home who is going to die. It's not just that she's sick, but his words are, she is going to die, Jesus, unless you come. It's over her head. And Jesus says, yes. It's very matter of fact. He goes with them. And now we have some tension because the father, this is the father's last hope. And now hope is kindled because Jesus is going. Jesus is going to heal her. 
things are going to be okay. The one thing he cannot have at this point, if you're Jairus, is any kind of delay, any kind of interruption. And then verse 30, we're told Jesus experiences weakness, like a, a power going out of him, and he stops dead, right? And he's like, who touched me? And he finds the woman, and he has this extended discussion with her. Imagine you are Jairus at this point. If you were me, I'd be freaking out. Why are we stopping? What, are we, what is going on here? In fact, he talks so long that it's not until he's interrupted by a messenger that his conversation with this woman is over. So when the disciples say, what are we doing? It's not so much that they're impatient, it just makes no sense for him to stop. Especially if you think about their conditions. Uh, the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years is horrific, but is apparently not in danger of dying in the next half hour. She, she had that condition before, she will have it today, she will have it tomorrow. She's chronic, in a word. The little girl, by consequence, is something I would call She is about to die. If you are a healthcare professional, you triage, right? Someone comes into the ER, you're going to treat the little girl before you treat the woman. It's like an ambulance, a heart attack patient stopping to help someone with a broken arm. It's that kind of disconnect. It's not what we would expect. And so the one thing that the Jairus can't have happen is happening, and it's happening like for a while. And, and, and I got to believe Jairus is inside, is just kind of dying inside, thinking, I need you to come right now. You need to stop talking to this woman. And what does Jesus say? He, he turns to him. Messenger comes. Your daughter is dead. The worst thing that Jairus was, was, was worried about has happened. And Jesus turns to him and says, don't be afraid. Trust me. And, and Often, we run the danger of being like Jairus, right? We want, we want resolution of our problems now. We want Jesus to fix a situation in our life now. We want to know what we should do or how we should operate now. And Which is also odd because culturally, if, if we think our timing is right, even our timing culturally might not be right. Uh, here, if you have a meeting, we say we're going to meet at 3.30, well, you should be there at right? You've got... When I was back in college, you had about a 10, 15 minute rule. Professor doesn't show up, you can ditch, no harm done. If you're in a different culture like Spain, for example, if I say we're meeting at 3.30, you wait around for half an hour, for 45 minutes. It's not rude, it's just a different sense of time and how we operate. So if people have different senses of time frame and what timing is, how much more so would us and Jesus. Time is relative. Um, and if you remember back the last two stories of Mark, especially uh, the one two stories before this, it's Jesus in a storm, right? He's in a boat, he's with the disciples, there's a storm hurricane kind of vibe going on, and he's asleep. And his disciples wake him up and say, don't you care? Aren't you going to do something? You're going to just let us die. Their timing differed, and Jesus basically says to them, trust me. And he says it again to Jairus here, trust me. 
And, and, and that's what he's saying, not only to Jairus, but to us during this season. He's saying, trust me, I know what I'm doing. And I will not be rushed, not despite the fact that I love you, but I will be rushed because I love you. Uh, it, there are things to learn. He's delaying on purpose so that we learn to trust him more. And let's talk about some of those lessons that we can learn in these delays. And I think there are high level, there are three. First, we always give and get from Jesus more than we bargain for when we interact with him. We always give and get more from Jesus to and from Jesus when we interact with him. Look at our people in our story. Jairus. First off, Jairus. Jairus comes to what is he? What's his problem? He needs his daughter healed from sickness. He leaves with a daughter raised from the dead. That's astronomically different, at least from his perspective. That's not what he's asking for, but it's what he got. And then think about the woman. Uh, she, she needs to be cured from this disease, but her, her go-to move is different than Jairus. It's not to talk to Jesus. It's to creep up behind him, touch his robes, get healed, and get out. It's like a touch-and-run vibe, right? But she's not allowed to do that, right? Jesus says, hold, hold up, hold on. She's forced to interact. And not only does she get healed of her disease, but she gets drawn into a transformed life. She's forced to interact. She's forced to have a relationship with him. So both of them uh, are, have more asked of them than they thought, but are given way much more. You always wind up giving more than you planned on when you interact with Jesus, but he always gives you astronomically more than you expect. So that's the first one. Second one, Jesus is a God of grace. This seems pretty obvious, but look at the story, right? We've got two primary characters here in tension. We've got Jairus and the woman. And what Jesus does in the story is what he always does. He, he reverses the values of the world because he's operating on grace. Uh, we've got Jairus and the woman. Look at their differences that you're told about. Jairus is a man in a culture where men have almost all the power. She's a woman. He is a synagogue leader, which means he's ceremonially clean. Um, he worships every week, probably leads worship every week. She's been diseased for 12 years in a culture that assumes that if you're diseased, it's your own fault because of existing sin. She's not been allowed to worship for 12 years. He's probably prominent and affluent, being a leader. She has spent everything she had desperately trying to get better and has just gotten worse, so she's almost destitute. He's at the top of the social She's at the bottom. Even, as I mentioned, their, their faith in Jesus is different. Jairus comes and speaks to Jesus and, and interacts with him. All she's trying to do is creep up and touch his robe. So by whatever system of qualification you have, you might coherently argue he deserves Jesus to intercede. He deserves Jesus to do something, and she doesn't. But that's not what he does, right? He's, up, he's a God of grace. So what he does effectively is says, 
you, you at the top of the social order, male, civil, religious leader, just wait a second. You can wait for a moment while I interact with her. Jesus always insiders. I, I talked a couple weeks ago about how Jesus defines his family. Uh, there was this inside the house, outside the house vibe. His real family comes. And what does Jesus says? Jesus says, the, my brother and sister and mother are people that do the will of God, who are with me, who believe in me, basically. And look what he calls this woman who's been bleeding, who's totally disenfranchised, who isn't qualified at all. Look at what he calls her in verse 36. He calls her daughter. Uh, narratively, that means this woman is approved because she's been shown grace. Jesus is always drawn to the outsider. Uh, people who have messed up or who are messed up the most. Uh, Paul talks about the foolish things of the world being used to shame the wise, and it's because Jesus operates on grace. It's not, we never get what we deserve as a consequence. So he's all about grace. And then third, and this is almost uh, the most fascinating in a way, if Jesus is delaying, it's because there's something going on that we can't see. Uh, from Jesus' perspective, we see, you know, the sick girl needs to be healed, and now she's dead. Jesus, it's the same difference. Healing from a fever or raising her from the dead, he can do both, right? Uh, it, it's We've seen him do lots of stuff already, and disease and death fall into the same buckets where he's got the power to deal with it, apparently. And there's a bigger opportunity here. Uh, since he can, he can take care of the girl whenever, if he, if he lets this woman go, she misses out on the chance for a transformed life. Her moment is now. Um, that opportunity cannot be passed up. And the danger is that we'll miss these things because we're being like Jairus. We're hurried. We're impatient. Uh, we see only our needs um, and what our agenda should be. Uh, looking back, sometimes it's easy, right? We can, I can look back on things that happened 20 years ago and I can say, well, obviously that's what Jesus was doing with the value of hindsight. And that gives us a little bit of, of, of vision. But it's ironic that we would say to the creator of the universe, the one that holds everything together, no, 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 I, I know when this should happen. Feels a little bit, a little bit silly. What we have to believe in all those moments is that Jesus is doing what we would want him to if we knew everything that he knew. That kind of unique vision. So, None of this doesn't, you know, the, most of this makes sense, right? But it's difficult. Um, we should trust. We should learn to wait. There are things to learn. We get drawn in closer. This is how Jesus operates. Still difficult. So let's, let's think about one more thing from this story. And that's this puzzling weakness I mentioned before. I talked about in verse 30 how when the woman touches him, he feels power go out. Another way to say that is that he becomes weaker, which is a weird thing to say about Jesus, right? 
It's the only place in the Gospels that's ever said. And if, especially with the stories from the past couple weeks, he was basically a hurricane, and he's like, cut it out. Everything calms down. Um, he faces a legion, an army of demons, and says, yeah, just go into the pigs. No problem. He could handle all this. He didn't need to pray. He didn't need to make any incantations, say any magic words, anything like that. He's like, yeah, go for it. He could handle all of that on his own. So why weakness now? Why weakness here? Why call that out? I, I think it's a sign for him and for, for us. And it's similar to the, the girl, too. The, the girl's dead, right? The messenger comes. The girl's dead. Don't trouble the teacher any longer. I'm coming anyway. He gets there. The mourners are weeping. They're wailing. And what does he say? He says, eh, don't, don't worry about it. The girl's not dead. She's sleeping. Now, lest we be distracted by that, the girl's not sleeping. The girl's dead. Uh, if you look in the other Gospels, it's very clear. She, she's dead. These are professional mourners. That's not the issue. Um, but he goes in, and he goes into her, and she, he crouches down, he takes her by the hand, and he says, Talitha kumi, right? And so you have a translation in your Bible. If, if you study it a little more, it's a little bit, it's, it's a different nuance than what you hear. It's two parts, right? That first part is Talitha, which literally means little girl, but it's like a, it's a diminutive. So instead of saying little girl, what you should see in your head or think about in your head is whatever pet name you have for a, a pet, literally pet name for a pet, or a child, right? Little one, sweetie pie. I call my children bean, right? And so it's, you need to substitute that kind of tenderness. And, and, and it, instead of the second part, instead of I say to you, get up, it's not get up, you're late for school. No, it's a... Uh, it's, it's a time to get up. Time to, sweetie, sweetie, it's time to get up. It's the tenderness that a parent would wake a child up with on a sunny Saturday morning when there's nothing at all to do. It's that kind of tenderness, which means two things. This is raw power. He's faced hurricanes. He's faced a legion of demons. This is different. This is death. Uh, this is like the ultimate enemy. And he doesn't yell. He doesn't use incantations. Elijah in the Old Testament lays on a dude like five times, blows on him, prays, falls on the ground, lays on him. There's no, none of that here. Jesus just takes her by the hand and says, it's time to get up, honey. That kind of gentleness means that there is raw power here. Jesus is, is basically saying to her and saying to us that if I have you by the hand, even death is nothing more than a good night's sleep. It's time to wake up. So there's raw power. And then it's also love, right? You can hear it in, in my voice. There's a tenderness there. Jesus is being the ultimate parent. And I say this as a father, most parents screw up, right? They either yell at their children or they, they say things that are appropriate or 
at some point they demonstrate that they're not really 100% trustworthy all the time. Uh, but this, this is the creator of the universe, the ultimate parent, someone who never messes. Like I said before, who's created the universe, holding stars together, holding them. And that's the one who's walking in and gently taking you by your hand and calling you by name and telling you to wake up. He's the one that despite uh, our status, our unqualifiedness, our screw-ups, whatever we've done or just thought, he's still coming in and being that gentle, that powerful and that gentle. So why would we want to hurry someone like that? And you should be asking yourself, uh, but, but how is he able to do all this? What, if I'm not qualified, yeah, I know he operates on grace, but if I'm not qualified, if I'm continually doing stuff that dis, dis, uh, disqualifies me, how, how can he take us by the hand and, and keep us like that? It goes back to that weakness. I think that's why it's called out in this narrative. In 2 Corinthians 13, 4, Paul talks about how we, Jesus was crucified in weakness so that we can be in God's power. He can take us by the hand and hold on because when he went to the cross and lost everything, he lost everything, including his father's hand. He died for us. Uh, he went into the tomb so that we could be raised. He became unclean so that we could be made clean. It's that exchange. He was forsaken so that we would never be forsaken. Because Jesus knew that the only way to resurrection was through death. The only way to power was through weakness. And that's ultimately what the delays of Jesus teach us, right? We learn through our own weakness, our own experience of waiting, uh, to develop the humility and grace to be like him. Because Jesus experienced the ultimate delay. Think back uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying and he's saying, is there any way to do this besides death, besides the cross? And the answer is no. The ultimate delay. May Jesus' patience form ours this season. Now, are you hurrying Jesus? Am I hurrying Jesus this season? Well, let's take him by the hand and let him do what he wants on his schedule. He loves us completely. He knows what he's doing. And it's time for us this year uh, to wake up, to be woken up into that reality. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that thank you that you are all powerful and that you don't operate on our schedule. We praise you that you teach us through waiting, even when it's hard. And we praise you because you don't abandon us. Uh, you, you come and you, you wake us up gently. You say, sweetie, get up. And you hold our hands even as we wait on him. Help us to be expectant this season. Give us eyes to see what you're doing. Help us to trust that you love us, that you know what you're doing. Help us to see things with your eyes. Come, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.